What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Surf and Sales podcast. I'm one of your two hosts. I'm Scott Lease, co-founder of the Surf and Sales Summit, along with my good friend and partner, Richard Harris. How's it going, Richard? It is going well. How are you? I'm okay. How's the early part of the summer? Kids out of school yet? We are out and about. We are negotiating activities, which ones they will partake and which ones they won't. Um, so, you know, that's just part of my sales training for my children. And um, then we're prepping, you know, as you know, we're going to Africa in about two weeks. So, yeah, for those of you who don't know, Richard's on his way to Africa and he has assured me he will be going in one of those great white shark dive tanks. So yeah, Richard. Expect to be in the market for a new co-founder and podcast host uh, yeah. in a few short weeks. So send in your applications. Uh, anyways, hopefully you'll be okay, Richard. You have way yeah. more guts than I do. I would never, ever, ever tempt fate like this. I Richard, know. South Africa, if I had to guess. What's that? Uh, South Africa? With yeah, we're doing gorillas. Uganda and South Africa. We're going to do a trek with some gorillas and, uh, and apes and chimps and stuff like that first. And then we'll go to South Africa and zip line and surf and um, shark diving and fishing and, you know, sort of all that other stuff that we could do. Um, you know, anybody who's listening to this show right now would think you are a real adventurer, Richard, but they don't know that this is like really out of character for you. I can't, I, I don't know what's going on. What sort of midlife crisis. That's not true, Scott. Yes, that's- it is true. Hey, that voice that you just heard is uh, Craig Jordan, who is the founder of Sassend, and he's going to be joining us today on the Surf and Sales podcast. We'll get to him in just a second. Richard, give everybody a, a little snippet about our wonderful sponsor, HubSpot. Yep. If you have not checked out inbound.com, please do. It's uh, being put on this September by our good friends over at HubSpot, um, who are just, you know, it's nice to have some conferences in person for a change. So I'm very excited about it. They've got uh, general admission passes. They've got some VIP stuff going on. They're going to talk about their AI, how they see the shape of AI, what they already have in their tools and services for AI. They've got stuff around content. They've got stuff around um, supporting all the sales reps and making steps easier. But what's also cool is they've got amazing people like Morgan DeBond and Sinead Bavel, Sam Jacobs, a good friend of ours, Neil Patel, and uh, Derek Jeter and Reese Witherspoon are going to be there speaking. So um you know, so it'll be a good time. It is in September of this year, September 2023. Please check out inbound.com. I mean, you are a hardened professional at yeah. the beginning commercial ad roll stuff, Richard. You're an absolute pro. Craig Jordan, everybody, welcome to the show, man. Appreciate it, Scott. Glad to be here. Well, tell everybody about Sasend if they don't know what it is and, and what you're up to and how you got here. Yeah. So we're a RevOps consultancy. We, we primarily work with B2B tech, B2B SaaS organizations, uh, go-to-market leaders on all things ops. Uh, think of it fractional RevOps in a box. So instead of hiring headcount or having augmentation of existing teams, uh, we do everything from uh, kind of tech stack uh, development processes, reporting, integrations, uh, you name it, we do it. Uh, so it's pretty fun. Do you find that companies are starting on this type of work sooner than they used to 5, 10, 15 years ago? 100%. So I think even 5, 10, 15 years ago, didn't have a term. <laughs> so, That's right. Well, RevOps uh, didn't exist 15 years ago. That's for sure. Yeah. Correct. Uh, so, but I, I think for the most part, uh, especially in kind of current climate, uh, a lot of organizations are starting to really kind of hone in on, okay, how do we kind of reduce the bloat? Uh, 
uh, I think Scott, you, you joked about having minimal tech stacks possible because you don't have to work. Uh, That's right. Day. My ideal tech stack is actually nothing. Yeah. Right. If he could do it without Excel, he would. Hundred <laughs> percent. But, Scott's but I think for the dream, most part, Scott's oh. biggest dream is to is to have a photographic memory. Unfortunately, he's probably partaken of the hippie lettuce a little too much, and therefore, <laughs> you know, if he had a photographic memory, that would be his ideal CRM and tech stack. Tech stack. True. There you go. Scott, you can actually train your memory. Uh, there's some techniques. Uh, I'll send it to you offline. It's pretty cool. Uh, you can do like associated work. words. For hey, I'm into that. Things. I'm into that. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating stuff. But to answer your question, yes, uh, I think uh, organizations, especially early stage, uh, they're, they're looking at the tech stack more seriously. Uh, they're investing uh, to try to get uh, more efficiency sooner. So that way they're not kind of doing the, the whole song and dance of, okay, let's just get five to 10 reps, and then we're firing six to eight of them because uh, it's not working out. Uh, so having having more insight into what's working, what's not working uh, sooner is just more pragmatic and smarter. Uh, but that being said, uh, I think across the board, uh, we're seeing, especially given that we have clients that are 10-person Series A startups to 1,000-plus employee companies, uh, it's a pretty good gambit to see how people are taking kind of RevOps a lot more seriously than they have in the past even couple of years, which is exciting. When you say seriously, though, what does that mean? What did, what does not serious look like versus actual serious? Right? Yeah. Just so, so we have some context of like, oh, I should think that way. Yeah. So I think we were in a boom time. Uh, we're now in a bust time. And so people were buying a whole host of tech and throwing technologies to solve particular core business issues. Uh, there's a lot of organizations that are now trying to go for profitability rather than relying on VC capital. Uh, so I think in general, the whole goal and function of RevOps is to help obtain higher levels of revenue in a smarter way. Uh, and so having kind of those efficiencies built out sooner um, just means that you're running kind of faster ships. Uh, so I think the seriousness kind of stems from uh, current climate because people are getting beat up left and right. So what are the things, what are the specifically, what are the things that they're kind of going oh, we need a workflow for that. Or like, what are, I like to get really tactical on stuff. So yeah, yeah. people sure. who are listening to go, and what are the things, let me ask better. What are the things they're wasting their time doing yeah. that if they understood RevOps, they wouldn't have to do those menial manual tasks? Yeah, I think the first thing, which is kind of table stakes, is just consistency of process. Uh, I know you guys are both, ardent sales professionals. Uh, and so just having consistency of process is kind of just level one. Uh, I think the more tactical aspect is a lot of consolidation and integration uh, that's occurring more so than it did in the past. Yeah, but you're giving me buzzwords. Give me an example. I hate fucking buzzwords. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So yeah, to give you a, a clear example, uh, let's use HubSpot, uh, today's sponsor. Uh, and so I, I think a lot of organizations are getting away from uh, tech and systems that were specialized and they're now going to a single source to make their lives easier. So they're getting away from kind of disparate tech stack that's not talking to each other and kind of going into a singular system and trying to kind of make that system run faster. So it's kind of level two, which is they're taking different systems uh, and merging them together or trying to integrate in a better way. And then the final form is they're actually now analyzing their data and kind of getting ahead of leading indicators rather than lagging. 
So a lot of organizations historically have just uh, kind of looked at things and said, oh shit, we have a pipeline problem uh, when they have a pipeline problem rather than trying to get ahead of it. So I think the consolidation of different technologies is kind of occurring and I, I think it's very cyclical. Uh, but again, it's happening more and more frequently. You have more organizations that are just buying HubSpot products or Salesforce products rather than having kind of specialized uh, tools and tech. Are you surprised that some of these mega players are building their own as opposed to doing M&A stuff? I am actually. Um, yeah. I think it would make more sense for folks to be bought because uh, again, they're best in breed for a reason. Uh, and a really good example of this uh, is kind of the sales engagement tools. Uh, so the fact that Salesforce has a, a sales engagement tool, which candidly is horrible, uh, rather than going and buying an outreach and kind of integrating outreach and making outreach a part of the tech stack, uh, especially when they, they drop, I think it was like 30 billion on Slack or 27 billion, like some, some absurd number. Yes. Uh, so I think there, there's still a lot of M&A going on. I think there's going to be a lot more in, in the coming kind of quarters and years. Uh, but it, it is surprising that the, a lot of the larger organizations are trying to build uh, rather than buy. Because this is a super important question for anybody who's a um, head of sales, VP of sales out there. How do I convince my founder that we need help in RevOps? and that I, as the head of sales, am not qualified to do it all. This is the question that everybody asks me because I, I, I've been on record for, I don't even know, years saying, when I'm a VP of sales, I don't take the job unless the first hire I can make is a head of RevOps like partner before I hire reps or anything. And the question everybody says is, how the hell did you get budget for that? It's a fair question. I think the, the way that you get budget is framing it to that founder uh, to say, we need to be objective in our decision-making as soon as we possibly can. Where if we don't have uh, systems, processes, reporting, even baseline automation, uh, we're trudging through the mud. And so if we have even basics, uh, we're going to be performing at a level better than if we're running with Google spreadsheets and trying to scrape data and just use LinkedIn sales nav. So I think the, the way that you can kind of frame it, uh, we like to use the, the framework with RevOps for force multiplier, which means that like one of the big aspects of what we do is we save time, um, let alone we provide insight into kind of what's working, what's not working. So if you're, again, a VP of sales, it's about to scale a team and you don't have even the most basic of reporting, uh, then your job is pretty screwed because you're not gonna be able to defend how well you're performing to that CEO and founder. So even just coming from the framework of, again, we're gonna go farther faster with less people, uh, that will probably get their attention just because again, you're gonna have those efficiencies from an early stage. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. Um, you know, I think, for those who don't know, Scott's very good at this, but he also brings that up in the interview process. He doesn't wait till he's hired because um, it's it's a big cri criteria, and I would agree with that um, with that mentality. You know, the other the, when should somebody like you know Scott's like 
oh, I'm going to be your head of sales. I'm going to go. And Scott's the guy who's like, he's your first sales hire who can also be your VP of sales. And so he will write the script, run the role play, run the customer, close the customer, do all that stuff, define the process, write the process, you know, all that stuff. Then, you know, is it reasonable? And in Scott's mind, I'm willing to bet, Scott, you're like, okay, now that I got this down, now we need RevOps before I even hire a salesperson. Yeah, it takes, it would take me, you know, two to four weeks, let's say, to like wrap my head around what the hell I'm supposed to do and what I'm supposed to say and who I'm supposed to target and all that stuff. And then as soon as I'm like, okay, I think I got this. Then I'm like, Craig, you need a job. Come on, let's do this. So so Craig, when do you think someone should be hiring RevOps? Yeah, it's interesting because uh, I agree where there needs to be a VP of sales. one, I, we've had clients where there hasn't been a VP, there's been a founder led handful of reps. Uh, I think my, my dream starting team uh, would be a, a leader, uh, at least three reps uh, and a RevOps person, uh, if, whether internal FTE or using a service like Ascent. Because uh, again, if you have a number of reps as they're ramping, you still can build kind of at the same time. So it doesn't have to be something that is... Uh, you get a Scott, then you get a Craig, and then you get John, Jane, and Jim. Uh, it is something that you can kind of do in tandem because the reps are going to take time. They're going to have the ramp period. Uh, there's going to be a little bit of a grace, depending on how deep down the rabbit hole you want to go, because there's varying levels to the type of shit that we do. Uh, but again, like Scott needs the ability to be able to report. He shouldn't have to build these things in Salesforce or HubSpot because uh, it's a waste of time. Um, so I think if you're hiring a senior leader and you're looking to ramp a team up, uh, again, you, you need that function fairly quickly, whether it precedes the reps or is in tandem with the reps. Uh, again, I would say probably preceding them by a bit um, while you're looking to build out the team because you can be pretty dangerous in 90 days on the operational side um, without having to get too technical. What are the- it's, not just that, it's not just that it's... I don't have the time. It's also that I don't have the interest or the expertise. Not correct. expertise. Right. It's those three. <laughs> it's those three. I don't have the time. Yeah. Correct. But I don't really have the interest. So I'm like reluctantly doing it, which means yeah. I'm going to move slow or just like avoid it and let things slip. And I don't have the expertise, which means if I go in there and try to do it, I'm going to screw it up. And then somebody's going to have to fix it later on. Right. Correct. The, the other the- aspect, again, is kind of the opportunity cost of time. Right where it's, and we have a lot of organizations we go into where they kind of give a de facto person on the sales team, or in some cases, even marketing, uh, if marketing exists in the org. And then we're cleaning up the historical mess. Uh, the ideal is we go in with evergreen state with folks that kind of get the value add of what we're bringing to the table. Uh, what, and then you're moving faster, way, way quicker. What, um, what do you, what are the objections you hear from people when you say we haven't brought someone in yet? or even if you suggest they need to have someone else own it, what are the objections you get? Yeah, I think the, the biggest one uh, is kind of the mindset of if they uh, see the value in having uh, operations or not. Because um, I, I think especially for a lot of technical founders um, who might not even have a VP of sales yet, um, a, a big objection that we hear there is like, well, why can't I just do this myself? I'm an engineer, I, I can figure this shit out. Um, and it kind of goes back to Scott's point, which is, well, you're going to mess it up. Uh, then we're going to come back and talk in three to six months, and then we're going to be here. Yeah. Um, so the, the biggest one is just mindset. 
to be candid, because um, it is a nascent space uh, where we're three years into the term of RevOps, SalesOps is probably eight years, uh, maybe 10, if we want to be generous. So there's still a lot of folks that are just now kind of learning about what this is and getting a grasp of like, okay, this, this kind of makes sense. And again, I think uh, a lot of folks are thinking like, oh, we just buy the technology and then shit just works for us. Uh, and that, that's where the run into issues. When you get to the bigger clients, right? This is yeah. the next question I always get. Well, how many RevOps people should I have? Or when do I start to add another person to that team? Yeah. Yeah. Is, it, is it based on the number of reps? Is it based on the deal? Like, what's your advice around that? Yeah, general rule of thumb and consensus uh, is, and it's super rough to be super candid, Richard. Uh, it's for every kind of hundred licenses in the system, um, you need another body. So kind of similar to the ratio of SDRs to AEs uh, from an operational person to uh, a variety of team members. Uh, think of it like 100 AEs to, to one RevOps person. Um, now, again, there, there's different kind of uh, uh, specializations within RevOps that you can kind of justify. You might be more data oriented and you're more of a data scientist and you're analyzing data. Um, and so you want to make a specialist hire for that versus you're more of an administrative person, you're building up processes versus integration. Um, so, but the, the rough ratio is kind of 100 to one. Uh, but Again, it depends on um, whether you're a little more people focused or uh, system focused, because if you build a lot of the efficiencies with kind of the new age systems, um, you don't need as many bodies. Uh, and so I think, uh, again, that's the rough, rough number, 100 to one. I got another question, but I'm going to let Scott see if he wants to jump in. Yeah. Well, I don't know what your question was going to be, but I've got a change of topic, slightly tough question, perhaps. Craig. What do you think, Richard? You first or me? I don't know. Is yours about AI? Mine's about AI. No, mine is not about AI. Let's right. go into AI, Richard. <laughs> All right. See you later, Scott. Hang up. So, since this is going to be one of my last podcasts with you, apparently. <laughs> Before it gets eaten by the sharks. I'm which gonna, on the I'm great, go. have you guys seen the video of the great whites that like literally jump out of the water? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become like the Def Leppard drummer if I have to. Yeah, well, my new uh, co-host on the podcast will just be an AI because right. that's how angry I'll be. Right. So so this is probably the topic du jour of what you talk to your clients about, right? Yep. AI, generative AI, you know, you now have data to help tell you things. Where's the space on that? Like what, what's, where's the efficiency there? What can't AI do yet? You know? That's my question, Greg, go for it. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, I think uh, it's the age old question of when are we all gonna be replaced by machines? Uh, and so I think there are aspects uh, within current ecosystems and a lot of the organizations we partnered with have all come out with kind of AI functionalities within uh, their offerings, like kind of within the same time frame. it's been pretty wild, but uh, candidly, I still think we're in fairly early days come the operational side. I think within the sales org, AI has kind of penetrated a little more faster just because it's allowing reps to write emails uh, quicker and more personalized and all that jazz. Uh, but I, I think the biggest area which I'm most excited about AI um, is just within kind of the analysis of data. Uh, because again, 
Uh, I think there's a very select few systems that do this extremely well. There's very select few people that do this extremely well. So being able to open up that gap and giving Richard the ability to kind of ask just simple questions, uh, like tell me how my uh, uh, close rate has been trending over the last six, six months, right? Uh, or how is this rep compared to this rep? Um, and then it kind of spits back answers fairly quickly. That's really exciting. Still in early days, and there's a couple of systems that are, are somewhat doing this, but um, I, I think for the most part, like that is arguably one of the most impactful areas AI can have within the operational side. Because again, uh, I don't want to try to change the direction of the ship when we're about to hit the rocks. I want to know like, oh, okay, there's rocks over there. Let, let's make sure we're kind of course correcting ahead of that point. And so I think that's where um, AI within the operational space is probably the most attractive. The area that it doesn't currently cover, uh, it, it can't do integrations between systems. It can't build out uh, structural processes. Uh, it, it can't do some of the uh, kind of lifting, um, so to speak. But what it can do is interpretation of data and analysis of that data um, to make it really, really simple and kind of a conversational uh, for go-to-market leaders to be able to kind of get to answers that they're seeking um, pretty quickly. And that's pretty dang cool. But yeah. how long till it can do those things? Well, I can tell you that this is something we're actively working on. So it's, uh -oh. uh, I, I can't give a- He's in the lab. He's in the lab, Richard. It's in, it's in the lab, guys. But it, it's, and it, it's mainly given the amount of, of uh, just exposure we get and the variety of clients that we have. Um, I, I think it's something where uh, we're trying to build this for ourselves to a certain degree uh, to be able to kind of get to information faster. Um, so uh, I'll keep both posted and the listeners posted. But if I had to guess within kind of the market and the structure, uh, aggressively next two to three quarters, uh, a little more pessimistically, uh, three to six. Wow, by 2024, we all better fucking make a lot of money. That's yeah. like, like you said, want any other motivation to hit your goal? That's one. Um, going to do a quick uh, pause here. Say hello and thank you to our friends over at HubSpot. Um, want to thank uh, HubSpot for supporting the sales and sales community with the HubSpot Podcast Network. If you don't know uh, John Barrows, check out his podcast, Make It Happen Mondays. Uh, I've been on a couple of times. Scott's been on a couple of times. Craig, have you ever been on it? Do you know? You know I have John? not, but intro away, Richard. Yes, yeah. So, um, and he's got some great episodes with some amazing people. One of them is with Battery Fridland. And it's like literally, dude, that's what I'm supposed to say, by the way. So John and Valerie, um, who's an author and professor at University of Nevada in Reno, they talk about language in our everyday lives, linguistics which is a big part of what we do in sales and in RevOps to be able to explain the data. It's one thing to know the data and crunch it. It's another to be able to explain it. Um, yeah. And so they talk a lot about how to communicate with people in societal norms um, and the different techniques that sales professionals can use to upskill ourselves, right? Like this is an easy one to go listen to and walk away going, oh yeah, that's cool. I can do that. So thank you to HubSpot. Thank you to our friend, John. And, uh, Scott, back to you in the studio. Well done, well done, well done. So what I wanted to ask before Richard started talking about AI and how it's going to steal all of our jobs and kill us all off is, um, 
How has it been for you in the last six to 12 months or so running your own business in this headwind and, uh, you know, you're running into, I would assume at least startups and founders who are like, we're not spending money on anything. I'd love to pick your brain for free. You know, can you do help us out for a dollar, all this kind of stuff? Like, what has that battle been like? Or are you a little bit immune uh, to that where you're at? Yeah, uh, I, I'm not going to say we're immune. Uh, there, we, we have experienced some challenges. I'd say kind of comparable to kind of Q3 last year. It was really weird. Everybody had kind of that six-week period. Uh, we had kind of a similar aspect, I'd say, in the beginning of Q2. Um, but it's already rebounding very quickly. Uh, and I think for two main reasons. Uh, one, we're, we're kind of getting to that halfway through the year point, which is pretty wild. Uh, and so a lot of folks where it's like, hey, we had these big goals that we set in the beginning of the year. Let's go charge for it and get shit done. Um, and now they're playing catch up. Uh, so Q3 is always our strongest quarter by far. And it's already shaping to look that way um, yet again for the third straight year. Uh, so I think, yes, uh, we had a little bit of a dip, uh, but again, we're going to be our goal from last year, uh, which is always great. Uh, now, what makes us a little interesting and unique uh, is kind of twofold. Uh, one, uh, we do a lot of channel uh, sales. Uh, so we, we co-sell with SaaS companies, we resell SaaS companies, uh, we have uh, partners within the equity ecosystem that kind of feed us from their port codes. Uh, so again, we, we have enough um, channel partnerships where we're being fed across a variety of different areas that, uh, including HubSpot, uh, which they experienced some slowdown, but uh, again, as a, a smaller-ish consulting firm, uh, we're not tens of thousands of employees, right? So we're, we're a pretty small uh, fly on an elephant's butt. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think from that standpoint, uh, one, we have enough deal flow from channel partnerships that kind of preceded all the silliness the last, let's say, six, nine months. Um, and then two uh, is the fact, like to my earlier point, uh, around it's all about efficiency gains. So they might have had an initial reaction of we can't spend on anything, we can't spend on anything, but now it's like we need to make things better and how do we do more with less? And it was kind of the same thing that we saw with COVID. Uh, I remember sitting across the table from my wife and she's like, what, what do you think is going to happen? I was like, either it's going to be amazing or it's going to be terrible. Uh, and so with the layoffs and all the, the kind of rifts that have happened, um, it, it's actually in an odd way, uh, kind of a net benefit because they're cutting three or four people uh, and then we're coming in and kind of being able to do the same level of efficiency with just one, one of our resources just because we have so much more exposure. So I think overall, uh, net positive progressing forward, uh, but the ecosystem definitely has been hit, uh, but I think we're, we're turning the corner. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we don't have the same thing that happens uh, two quarters from now. So what Scott was really alluding to was if he doesn't have a job come January. <laughs> so that, I can't work like, for Craig. Hey. I don't know how to do anything inside of Salesforce. Or HubSpot or whatever. That's okay. That's okay. So, it's selling. It's selling the the dream and the vision, Scott. Uh, and that's, can the, do that that's part. the point of our of our consultancy is like we make it so easy for go to market leaders that you don't have to know shit. You don't have to worry about this anymore. We got your back, and we speak the language of salespeople. So it, it's it's something where like I don't want to learn it. I don't know how it works. I know I need it. 
uh, we've, we've heard everything and seen everything, guys. Uh, so, again, we make it yeah, super Scott simple. wants to be your chief evangelist. That's what you need. In <laughs> that is Scott's perfect job in his world. Right, He's Scott? Good at that. I'm turning into a hype man. Right. I like totally. it. I like it. Totally. So I got a really bizarre question. Scott will know why I'm asking it. And um, we'll make it a contest. We'll see if anybody listens to this part of the podcast. So <laughs> do, you, do you hate sand? <laughs> Do I hate what? Sand, like sand on the beach. Do I hate sand? Yeah. No, I do not hate sand. Okay, good. So that excuse is now out of the wheelhouse that when we say you're coming to Surf and Sales in November, right? So, oh, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> so we, Scott and I last week had two people tell us they hate sand. And that really? was, this was a new objection that we were yeah. unprepared for. Interesting. So, so for anybody who's listening who does not hate sand, check out surfandsales.com. We've got some tickets available November 27th to December 1st. Um, and and I'll, I'll even if you mention this podcast, I'll give you 10% off. Scott, I'll cover their 10%. So there you go. There you, there go. you go, right there. That's pretty good, pretty good savings. Like so yeah. anyway, just had to ask that question, Craig, in terms yeah. of, uh, you know, that might need to be our newest question. Uh, this is the part where we turn it over to you you know, see if you have questions for us. What would you like to ask us before we uh, wrap up on everything? Yeah. Um, I know you guys are both experienced sales leaders. You've ramped teams. Uh, I'd love to kind of pick your brains on founder-led sales transitioning into uh, uh, actually hiring your first sales leader. Because uh, this is something where I love selling. Uh, I sell all the time uh, and love to kind of get a sense of when when is that right time to kind of uh, uh, put up put up your hat and kind of call it a day and then move on to the evangelism side, the kind of managing the leaders within within the org? Uh, when would you say is kind of the best point to, to make that transition? Yeah, so th this is uh, what I do for a living in my consulting business is exactly this. I work with people at exactly that stage and help them figure out what to do next. Um, I think that they have to have experienced some modicum of success and results and outcomes, meaning you got to have built some pipeline, made calls and, you know, got rejected and figured out what objections are and, and what pain points resonate and what parts of the product I'm supposed to show versus not. And, you know, hopefully taking a couple of deals to, um, to close and then have those people on board and, and have good experiences. I really think too many founders just skip all of that entirely. Um, I've been a part of multiple startups, frankly, that did skip all of that. And I was the one that had to go in as the first seller and, and figure all that stuff out. I was able to do it, but there's not that many people who sort of sign up for that gig as a head of sales or initial seller. And those founders never really understood the pain that a salesperson is going through and how hard it is, right? Yep. And therefore, there was like a slight disconnect all the time, maybe a lack of respect even. Um, so I think if you've done it, then it's a matter of like, well, how many times is good enough? Well, some of that to me is, do you actually enjoy it? If you enjoy it, then keep doing it for a little bit, Right until you're too busy or, or, you know, just literally run out of bandwidth. If you absolutely hate it, then it's probably okay to offload it a little sooner 
than the other person. Um, so I think you're just trying to look for some results. And if you can collect enough data that shows this is like bullshit stats, but it's like, okay, I made a hundred calls and I, you know, ended up closing one sale and I had five demos or whatever. Now you can apply at least some crappy, scrappy forecast to, okay, if I hired an actual sales professional who did this eight, nine hours a day, this is kind of what I think we might be able to get in terms of results. Therefore, here's a forecast for the next quarter. Okay, you know, and, and doing all of that stuff is just so much smarter to me than um, not doing any selling whatsoever, inventing ideas of what results should look like from this new person and how they're supposed to get there uh, and providing no support for them whatsoever. So I don't have a, like a milestone revenue number or a milestone number of deals. I just think you've got to be able to do it. You should have collected some data. If you enjoyed it, keep doing it for a little bit. If you hate it, I think if you've got some data, it's okay to kind of offload and get on, get on out of there. What do you think, Richard? I think you need to have more than one. I think you need, in my mind, it's, it's somewhere between five and 10 deals and they can't all be friends and family from the BC. Yeah. Right? It's helpful to have those because you can get really good, honest customer feedback to help build the process and understand those things. So I agree with Scott there. They need to like go get punched in the face a little bit. Yeah, I should have specified that these are real deals, not signing up your cousin. Right. So, um, so that's one piece of it. The other piece is I make them go and do a little bit of research. Like, okay, tell me what you know about hiring a VP of sales. How much have you even researched this? I don't know. Okay, how long does the average VP of sales last? Do you know why they don't last that long? No. Because yeah. I want them to know what the fuck they're about to get into. Right. They're, they're nine times out of 10, they're going to screw somebody over. They're going to overpromise, underdeliver, say they're going to do certain things, then they can't, then they're going to blame the salesperson. And then I want to also ask them this very important question. How long do you think it takes each of your deals to get closed if you do it? How long do you think it's going to take when you have a VP of sales or a sales team? So I want to put some real reality in front of them. It kind of, and it really doesn't matter what their answers are. Yep. The piece is they need to understand it and they need to have, again, gotten punched in the face. Then you can start having a real conversation about hiring someone. Yep. Um, most people don't, right? They just think it's this turnkey. They think anybody can do it. They don't understand, you know, that, that, that well, I do it. It's so simple. They don't understand it's their title that's selling. They don't understand that, you know, no, just because you write a book over the weekend doesn't mean everybody knows how to go and implement it in that way. So, right. so it has more to do with the mistakes founders make and the assumptions they make more than when are they ready. The yeah. key is knowing what mistakes to avoid. I love it. I think the thing I like most about both of your answers is that you both reference things that sales ops and rev ops do to kind of enable smarter decisions. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, the, the close rate aspects, the number of deals, uh, velocity, conversion ratios, all that good stuff. Um, I'm, I'm curious on uh, what would you say is kind of the, the best thing to kind of focus on um, when you are that founder-led sales? Like, is it something where you should be trying to build out the playbook, the positioning, the messaging, et cetera, or should you basically get punched in the face, have kind of those five to 10 deals that you ultimately close, not from friends and family, 
Um, and then hiring that VP that that's their first kind of, like you said, Scott, two to four weeks, let me get my arms around yeah. what are we selling and how are we positioning it? Um, like, do you do the pre-work for the VP of sales uh, and then they inherit it? Or do you just basically say, okay, we've closed enough. We have a general idea, but yeah. go take the ball in, and run. In, in, in reality, um, almost no founders build playbooks and do all of that no. kind of prep work and stuff like that. So yeah. I would be hesitant to even say that they should, because I sort of just know from experience that they won't. <laughs> um, yeah. The, the one area that would be super helpful is, is having to do with like the messaging. It's like, this is how I position the product. This is the pains that, that resonate. This is the things that I've demoed that's worked, right? And, and that helps me as the new seller coming in say, okay, Craig built this thing or this is his process, like, I can riff off of this and turn it into something that is maybe simplified, less technical sounding or, you know, less goofy sounding or whatever it may be. Right. Um, that part, I, I really think that they should focus on getting some pen to paper around, um, a whole playbook stuff. I just know that they won't. And even if they did, they won't do it right. They don't know what they don't know. They'll, they'll only do, five things when 50 should have been done. So I'd kind of like back off and leave that part to the experts. Yeah, I, I agree. In fact, early stage sales, I really wouldn't want them trying to document every little thing, mm. right? I, we need to get customers into the tool, into the system, using it, getting feedback, getting logos, getting stories, getting things to go get more customers. Um, then when they bring in that VP of sales or, or someone like any of us, then it's up to us to sit down and interview the fuck out of them and just say, tell me this, tell me this, tell me this title, 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 right? Like all that right. stuff. Um, if they've made the decision, which sometimes happens, I see early stage founders, you know, someone who's in charge of product, right? Um, well, that product person should also be talking to customers too, aside from, you know, those kinds of things, right? So I, I see that. So when you have that debrief with the CEO, particularly at the founder led level, Oftentimes there's there's somebody else there who builds the product to hear the feedback. So we need to get that piece too. But I don't want them building any process early on. Um, you know, look, Scott's got a process, but he doesn't have a CRM, right? And, and not in a jokingly way. He's got it in his head. He has an order of operations that he goes through the conversation. But that's through experience. With founders, I don't want them worrying about that. Yeah. The challenge I see is that so many founders, particularly if they're technical founders, get caught up in the technical part of building a process. Correct. Right? They lose the creative piece. They don't, it's not their strength, just like it's not my strength to be an, a, a deep ops person, right? right. That, that's, those are the places I see it. So. Makes sense. My final question for you both uh, is kind of in relation to, and, and Scott, I think you intimated in your answer earlier. Uh, do you hire AEs, handful of AEs first and then VP? Or do you hire VP uh, first and let them no, build the team? I get, I get this asked a million times. Um, preface with saying it can work either way and it does work either way. I have found it increasingly difficult to find VPs of sales who are willing to get in the trenches and do all of the IC dirty work that is required 
for the proper amount of time. So because of that, I have found myself starting to advise people more to hire a couple AEs first. Work with somebody like myself, selfishly, who comes in as a, a partner and a fractional leader, whatever you want to call it. Prove the model is working and the motion is working through those people. And then once that has happened, you've got founder, let's say, who's been the kind of de facto like sales leader or a partner like myself. We can't do that forever. So then it's like, let's go find a VP and we can say to the VP, this shit is working. It worked with the founder, worked with these reps. We need like consistent management and, you know, strategy behind it. So I'm finding myself advising people to go that route more often because finding somebody who's willing to do the dirty work and is good enough is starting to become like finding a purple unicorn. So that's where I'm at with it. Richard? Yeah, I, I see it the same way um, in that I, I've done it in a couple of ways, right? It, and with the AI piece, that's a different part of the question. So one, I like the idea of hiring a full cycle rep who knows how to do it. And I would want them to understand how to use the tools to make themselves efficient at this point. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's important. I'm not opposed again, depending on where it's at. If I found the right and experienced super hungry technology savvy enough SDR who wants to get to promoted to AE, I might hire them because economically that might make a little bit more sense. Yeah. Um, alongside an AE. Um, again, so, and I would want that AE to have that same skill who's also desirous to become a, a manager or a director so I can start to build this career pathing early. Um, if I were forced to get a VP of sales, I'd probably try to hire uh, a director level with you know a very specific set of goals that if they hit this goal, should become a VP because yep. that person is going to be hungrier than a current VP as Scott was talking about who doesn't want to get their hands dirty. So I'm always early on, I'm always looking to hire the hungriest of those roles who want to get promoted because that, that helps solve the a little bit of the longevity piece. The other piece I would say too is whatever you decide, whether it's SDRs or a full cycle AE, hire two of them. Yeah. Hire one. Because if you hire one and in 60 days you realize it's too hard or the product's not fit or um, maybe they're just not the right person, you're starting all over from scratch. And to replace an AE who's been there 60 days and it's your first AE is going to take you a month to find and recruit and train and hire them. And it's going to take them another 60 days to get fully ramped. So all of a sudden, you're now 180 days behind from when you first decided you were going to bring in somebody to try and close business. You're six months late, just on the wrong first hire. So always hire two. Yeah. Yeah. We have the same mentality on that front, Richard. So completely agree. Good questions. Real good questions. Super applicable to what uh, all of us do. Actually. Yep. Yeah. Glad we're all, glad we're all aligned there. Online. I guess, I guess you just gave me the job, Scott, and you got the job over here at Sasen. So when yes. Richard gets the email, you know, we've merged. Richard, <laughs> you're the one who will give us a hundred million dollars of funding to merge our, our companies. Thank you for being the facilitator of this. Trailer. Well, you know, Craig will get that job offer when he's on the sand in Costa Rica in, you know, November yeah. 27th to December 1st, 
of 2023. So Craig, we expect to see you uh, do that and I'll give you your 10% off. So um, do you surf, Craig? I do. Uh, I lived in a tiny little fishing village in Mexico called Sayulita, uh, if you're familiar. Uh, very familiar with Sayulita. And now I will kick Richard off the podcast. And Craig <laughs> and I will just talk about Sayulita and surfing for the rest of our time. Thanks so much for spending some time with us, Craig. We'll see you later. And thanks everybody for listening to the Surf and Sales podcast. Thanks everybody. Appreciate it, guys.